Today we'll be shaking it up with the multi-talented, multi-award winning and annoyingly handsome Scott Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> you should have said I'd have had a shave. <laughs> How are you doing? You alright? I'm alright mate, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate um, reaching out. It's, uh, you know, we said off camera, it's been a, it's a funny time to be alive, isn't it? Yeah man. Cool. So what have you been up to over the last, I don't know, four months? Uh, well, I've been pretty proactive. Obviously, we went into lockdown on, what, the 23rd of March? And I shot my last wedding on the 14th of March. Um, and I've, you know, it's been 114 days, I think, since my last wedding. So I've been trying to keep really busy, to be fair. You know, there's a lot of stuff that I think we're all guilty of putting off and oh i haven't got time for that i haven't got time for this i can't do that but yeah. i've had no excuse i've been doing a lot of little bits i've tidied the office um <laughs> i've been doing sample albums i've been doing lots of this interviews and podcasts and print judging for various associations so i've been i've been pretty busy yeah i mean that's that's really how i came across you in in the first place because i was watching some of your uh, podcasts on the honest photographer facebook page so uh that's a actually we can start talking about that page uh, for a little bit um, how did that come about? Well, that was uh, a good friend of mine, James Musselwhite. It's, it was originally his safe space mm -hmm. uh, to have a little bit of a, a vent and not, not vent, but just kind of his safe space online where it could be open and honest with a bunch of professionals. Uh, and it was his idea to kind of open it up and create loads of really good content during lockdown because I think we all are uh, aware that we are quite solitary in this job and everyone feels like they were going through this by themselves. So he reached out to myself and a few others, Sanjay and Ross Grieve and uh, Ellie Cassidy, just to help kind of provide and create content for photographers during this time on various different subjects. As you know, we've, we've covered uh, homeschooling for kids, photographing Lego to how to deal with your accounts and deal with all that. So we've been trying to really give content. You no, know, it's not so much now, um, but certainly the first three months we were giving content daily. Uh, just to try and give things people to do, or stuff people to do, really. Yeah, I think it's important to kind of keep talking, you know, under those sort of circumstances. Um, that's that's really how you know that's how this podcast came into into existence in the first place as well. Because um, I don't know about you, but I think when you know when lockdown first hit, like that first day, um, I was certainly freaking out. I think a little bit. How did you feel like that very first day? Uh, the, I, well, I kind of, you kind of sort of watched the Italy and Spain and the rest of the, the, the countries that had it and you knew it was coming. Mm -hmm. It was just a question of when. So it's about preparing for it. So, uh, you know, when it's out of my control, I don't really worry too much about it. Mm -hmm. I just had to prepare the best way I possibly could. Um, and, and when it came, we'd already adjusted, uh, no, we, we the, the initial impact was dealing with the brides. We were supposed to be photographing within that, those next four weeks. Mm. Uh, initially that was quite tough I'm not gonna lie that 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 was exhausting both mentally and physically because whenever you have a phone call is a bride that's in tears because their wedding in two weeks has been postponed that was that was difficult um and you have to kind of decompartmentalize uh, de it in your head so it's just a day it's just a bride it's uh, as we said on the phone last week it's imagine how a, a police officer is when they see a dead body they just oh it's just it's just a dead body yeah. and they just don't think about it and just do their job and my job was to move dates and mm -hmm. i just stopped thinking about it in from a personal point of view and the, the faster 
I think we got to that stage in our in our state, the easier it become. Yeah, I think it's it's good sometimes just to kind of you know occupy yourself at that point and just sort of you know um, look at it like uh, what do you call those things that a horse wears? What are these called? Blinders. Blinders. Yeah. Is it blinders. That's what I mean. Well, yeah, blinders. Yeah. 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 Put yeah, the blinders yeah, yeah, on. Yeah, and just, just you know, uh, keep that straight tunnel vision and just get through it that way. You know, that's uh, I think that that definitely. I think that's how I felt. I, I, I have to say, it. I was almost in a little bit of denial when it first started happening. I think, you know, thinking, oh, you know, is this, this isn't going to last for long. This might just be a few weeks and we'll be back mm. to normal. Here we are three or four months later. Re- yeah, all right, pubs and things have just opened. Mm, we'll see how that goes. But uh, it's not back <laughs> to normal yet, is it? And we won't be for months. No. So I think a lot of the, the, the preparation time that, you know, um, people spend over the first kind of six weeks in lockdown that's going to start to pay off over the next six months or something yeah that's really yeah uh, so let's go back a little bit um so how did you how did you actually get started in photography in the first place uh it was it was a complete accident if i'm honest i was at school uh wasn't very good at english or maths i I know i've just uh, diagnosed dyslexic about five years ago and that was never picked up when I was at school I was just stupid um when I was at school so uh ne- never did well at English or maths and then I had to uh, reset and then I was at school uh, I was good at IT and I was going to do a second uh, GCSE and the school said no you can't do it because it's just a given you're going to get another good grade we want to challenge and, and do something else so the two choices were either human biology or photography so I just kind of thought well the lesser of two evils, I'll do photography. And that was how I got into it. The, the moment I saw an image that I took, because back in this was back in the late nineties. So it was still wet chemistry. It was still film. And the moment that I saw a picture that I took, I developed the negative and I you know you see it appear in the tray. I was hooked and that was it. It was mm-hmm. just, it was just a magic thing. I was like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. So how did you get from, from doing photography as a hobby to turning it into a full-time job? Like, what was your journey to that? Uh, well, I, I've always said that this is, uh, this is a hobby that got out of hand. Um, it's still a hobby for me. If you follow my personal Instagram account, I still go out and photograph for fun. It's, it's really good fun. Um, I was working for a print lab in 2002. Uh, well, I started in 1998, left school, worked in a pro lab. So I was basically printing professional wedding pictures, portrait pictures, uh, and then a guy came to work for the lab that just finished working on cruise ships. Mm. And he told me all these stories. And I thought, I quite fancy that, you know, traveling the world, getting paid for it, meeting all these gorgeous women. I'm like, yeah, I was 22, single. I thought, yeah, we'll have some of that. So I applied, uh, I got a job on a cruise ship. And then that was literally the kickstart that I had. So basically it was traveling the world, getting paid for it, taking pictures um, and learning my craft, you know, again, it was still film. We very late into my contract went digital. We were the first ship to go digital in, uh, in the fleet. Mm. Uh, so again, learned a lot about exposure digitally. And then, so I came back and got a job in Jessup's got seen by a friend of mine that I'd met previous back in the lab that set his own company up and said, do you want to come and shoot some weddings? And that was it. Cool. And then, so how did you get from there to, um, winnings of multiple awards um around the place uh i am a competitive bastard <laughs> i i uh, am the most competitive person in the world i've been in, into sports since i was 10 so yeah. the, the the competitive side of me has, has been nurtured from a very very early age uh and it was really you know i thought i was pretty good and it turns out that i wasn't and then being told 
no, you can't do this. No, you can't do that. It's the biggest driving force for me. And mm. to be told that my work wasn't good enough, I was like, well, I'm going to show you. Uh, and that was it. It was just, it's my, it was my competitive drive that, that brought me forward. So I've been very fortunate and lucky to win some uh, big awards in you know in my career. And uh, I'm now in a position where I can give back. I'm now a print judge for yeah. SWPP, WPPI and the Guild of Photographers here in the UK. So I'm now a print judge that was judging my prints 15 years ago. So I'm, uh, I'm very lucky to be doing that. Yeah. What, what did it feel like shooting your first wedding? Do you still remember that? Yeah, I do. Um, it was my first wedding I ever shot by myself was the 2nd of April 2005. Um, I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, I was working for somebody else uh, and it was good fun. I enjoyed it. The pressure was obviously was, was obviously there, but it, the pressure when it was my company, uh, I, man, it was like I'd forgotten everything. Like someone had opened my heels and everything that I knew about anything just vanished out of, mm. my, out of my heels and I was very, very nervous. That was back in 2006. Um, but you know what? It was just, we've done this for, it becomes muscle memory. And you know, every day that I go and shoot a wedding, there is, I still get nervous about it because this is someone's special day. And you know, the, the day that I stop feeling nervous about it, it's a day that I'll stop doing it. Was your first wedding on film or digital? Uh, film. Oh yeah. Film. So my first wedding that I shot as a second photographer was back in 1999. Uh, it was on uh, 120 film. I shot on a Hasselblad. Um, and I was loading backs and, and shooting the, the candid stuff on a 150 lens, 150 f4. So yeah, I've shot I shot film. I'm 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 40, but I was very very early into into digital. Uh, and when it turned in 2003, we jumped straight away because mm -hmm. we knew this was going to be the future. Yeah. You know, shooting a wedding on film is my ultimate fear. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's good fun. It makes you think. Um, yeah. I'm doing a talk for Fujifilm um, this month and it's about the GFX system. Mm -hmm. And that is like shooting on film because the camera isn't as fast. It isn't as rapid as a T3 that I'm using as well. Mm. But it's like shooting film because you have to stop and think mm. rather than just spraying and praying and going bang, 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 and just getting everything. You have to think of it like film because back in the day in the 90s, you would you could buy five rolls of film for a fiver mm. now a box of five rolls of pork for 800 is 50 quid and mm. to get developed is 25 pound a roll so you got to think every time i hit that shutter it's going to cost me four pound 80 and that's the way you have to think about it because mm. the more precise you can get in your photography the less crap you're going to take the less time you'll spend editing in, um, in up here in lightroom and the more time you're going to spend down the pub now they're open again <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i mean i think you know i've often thought because i'm i'm like a really um I'm such a like uh, child of the digital world, you know, when it comes to photography. And um, although uh, when I was a kid, I, I started shooting video on tape, essentially, you know, sort of the pre, you know, pre-digital age. Um, but the thing about weddings, I think the thing that scares me is that it's, it's the fact that you that you lack that immediate feedback. You know, like mm -hmm. you can't just exactly look at the screen and just figure out whether your exposure was, you know, spot on or not. And it's the thing, you know, I always think like. You know, if somebody asks, like, you know, did you get that first kiss? And you go, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. Do you know what I mean? It's like, that's, uh, that's the thing. I think that's, uh, that's, that's keeping me from, um, from shooting more on film. Although, I mean, we've, we've talked about this quite a lot. Um, that's sort of an interesting challenge, I think, um, for me personally, I think for you too. Huh? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, we've got this camera behind me here. And you've, uh, what's, what's the camera you've got? I forget. Yeah, I was a, I sort of acquired a family heirloom, which is an Akfar Isolette. Mm. Do you remember those? Like a 1938 um, 120 film. 
kind of camera. Wow. Um, which is fully operational. It's fully yep. functioning, fully operational. And that's the thing. Back in the day, the cameras are made to last. I've got a, a Rotoflex that I use mm. um, that I think is 1961 or two, I think. And it's still it's still the sharpest camera I've got. The yeah. lens on it wow. is razor sharp. Yeah. So that was actually, I'll tell you what, that was one thing that really surprised me because um, I was given that um, that camera uh, by my mom, actually, for I think for some birthday um, a couple of years ago. And it's, it used to belong to my grandma's. And she was given a camera back in 1938, or maybe 1936, um, when she graduated from her apprenticeship as a photographer and lab assistant, right back then. Wow. And I actually, I've got some prints of photos that were taken, like portrait photos that were taken off my grandma with that very camera. And they are incredible. Oh, they are good. Yeah. They are razor sharp. I mean, it's just, you would never think that that, you know, that that was even possible back then. But yeah. uh, it's, you know, mind blowing. So that's something that, you know, we want to give it, I've, I've not really used film either. And it's something mm. that really interests me to see what you can do with it. And yeah, a different, it's a slightly different way of thinking as you, you know, you described Scott. It really, it's, it's the discipline, I think, yeah. the discipline of, you know, having to, like say, it's that uncertainty of, well, did I, did I get it? Um, I was using, you know, I still shoot film. Um, you know, I've got a fridge full of film. You can't see it. It's behind me. Um, a fridge full of film. I've still got uh, two runner flexes and a Leica mm. uh, M6 that I that I still shoot with. Not as often because it is expensive now, uh, but it's there if I fancy it. Um, I've got a fellowship that I took on film. Um, so, and it was because you know I wanted to I wanted to test myself because yeah. I'm so used to looking and chimping and looking at the back of the camera and think, yep, got it, nailed it. Yeah. But you know, it was that. I don't know. I quite like the the risk of film as well. I quite like it. Yeah, it's definitely risky business. Yeah, yeah. Film. yeah for sure. Film. Great film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. But that's you know, as I say, you know, it's something that really interests us, and um, you know, we we want to start using our film cameras ourselves and try and do something with it. Create a video with this. Create a you know a few stills with yours, and learn mm. the process of making photographs and film with actual film. And, you know, we haven't got around to doing it yet, but you know, no. something for in a few weeks. So if it made me think, you know, because um, my um, my daughter is, well, we're supposed to start her GCSE photography course in September. And uh, she's she really has no idea what film even is. I mean, she literally had absolutely not the foggiest idea that there could be anything else other than digital media. And uh, and so... I remember having a conversation with her and I you know, kept thinking like, actually, you know what? I don't know that much about that. You know, I've been a, I've, I've been a photographer for quite a long time, but really that's sort of mm. beyond my uh, field of expertise, you know, altogether. Um, so, you know, I kind of thought, you know what, that's, that is really, that's a fun part of photography to kind of upskill on, mm. you know, and to it's really funny because you throwing back to 2002 when I was on the cruise ships and we'd just gone digital. We had the Fujifilm S2 um, and we had a, a, a training photographer that came on the ship mm. and we gave her the, the digital camera and asked her to put a roll of film on it. And she was just like, well, how, where does where does this go? And you could see her trying to work out, trying to put the film in the memory card slot. And it's funny how 20 years ago, it was completely the other way around where digital was the new thing. And now film is the is the new thing almost. Yeah. It's almost come full circle again. Yeah, so the one thing that, that freaks me out a lot, and it kind of makes me feel really, really old, is when I realized that, um, that my kids don't even know how to use an analog phone. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. They literally have no idea. They've never played Snake. <laughs> well, obviously not. <laughs> no, but it's like, you know, pick up the receiver. They don't really, they don't really understand that 
you know, you have to wait for the ringtone and then then dial a number. Like that, the whole concept. I literally just stand there and go, "What yeah. now? What's what, what's happening?" Oh, you're talking about this <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, round one. Yeah, it's the, 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 the twirly thing, yeah, like, yeah. like baking a cake. And we, I show my little girl; she's seven in a couple of weeks, and she looked at it and said, "Well, what's that? Like, it's what we used to make phone calls on." No, it wasn't. I'm like, yep, that's what it was like. Yeah. I, I was uh, I was going through some I was sorting out some old drawers uh, over the weekend. Actually, I found an old iPod Nano. Do you remember those? Yeah, I've got an old original iPod. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my my nine year old was looking at this, and you know you have to like it has this dial thing on it, and she couldn't work out mm-hmm. how to how to use that at all. It was like completely, you know, disgraceful. No touch screen. No, no, it's not working. <laughs> anyway, so there were simpler times, that's for sure. Oh, simpler for sure, times. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about your um, your fellowships. Um, a little bit. Um, I think it'd be good to explain maybe what a fellowship actually is. So when I explain to my couples that I've got two fellowships, they just think I'm a hobbit and go around searching for rings. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but what they don't realise is the work and dedication that goes into getting that. So basically, you can join associations. So at the minute, you've got the SWPP, the Society of Wedding and Portland Photographers. You've got the MPA, the Master Photographers Association and the BIPP, the British Institute of Professional Photography. That was a mouthful, blimey. Mm. Um, and you can qualify via those bodies. So basically, there are three levels. You've got licentiate, associate, and fellowship. So licentiate is entry level, which is basically, can you take a nice picture? Do you know what you're doing? And can you make money from, from your craft? So everyone that's a full-time professional photographer should be working towards that level associate level is one up and that's where we're looking to see style and creativity and your own your own inspiration coming through so you're looking at other people's work but it's very much you know, you're starting to we're starting to see your style coming through and then when you get to the fellowship level that is you look at my work and you know that scott took it that's that you can tell straight away that it's my work and that's so i've been very fortunate to have i've got two fellowships one in wedding photography and one in documentary photography. Um, and it's something that I've worked for, I got my licentiate in 2012, and my fellowship was given to me in 2015. So it's three years to get there. Um, I'm only, in the, certainly in the, in the BIPP, I'm only the 19th person ever since 1901 to get the wedding fellowship. So it's quite wow. difficult because weddings, you have to take it on the wedding day. You can't go and do a post shoot or a pre shoot or do it again. It has to be on the wedding day. Yeah. So the pressure is, is really there. So it's quite tough to get, but I'm really proud to have it. Um, I don't talk about it enough, but it's, I'm, I'm dead chuffed to have it. So when you, you know, let's say as a photographer, when you decide that you want to get um, involved uh, with that, do you have to start with the licentiate or can you go straight in at a, at a different level or how does it work? Um, in the old days, you used to be able to go in straight in or whatever you wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've just recently been, I'm now the head of qualifications at the BIPP at the Institute. Um, and we're getting rid of that because one thing that you sh- everyone should be doing is, ex- is, is, um, uh, respecting the process because if you're going straight into the fellowship and you get it, you know, good luck to you, brilliant. But you know, the whole point of the qualification process is you learn more about yourself, you know, how mm-hmm. to give the better finished product. And if you're jumping straight into fellowship, you're missing out on so much valuable experience, I know, from mentors and other photographers that have trodden that same path. And 
I think really it's a process that, you know, you should do properly and go from start at the bottom and work your way up. You know, it's like, would you jump straight into a Formula One car? No, you wouldn't. You'd kill yourself, but you you go, you drive carts first, then you drive Formula Ford and Formula Renault, then you go to Formula Three, then you go to Formula One. You have to respect the progression of the process. Hmm. So is this, um, is this something where you have to put a a panel of images together and then um, that gets judged or how does, how does the process actually work? So when you go for licentiate, you can submit digitally. So you can put a, a USB together or do a Dropbox and we can judge the prints digitally. Uh, but we do prefer prints on all levels, especially at the uh, the Institute, uh, we prefer prints. Uh, so basically it's a panel of 20 images and we judge the prints. So it, it should sit together as 20 individual images, but look as one body of work. So every image complements the other one. Uh, not really that strict when it comes to licentiate more strict when it comes to associate but fellowship it should be 20 yeah it should it should be one body of work but each image will complement the other one okay and there's, there's a whole lot of different sort of categories like you, like you mentioned wedding as a category uh, i guess documentary is another category what other categories are there Oh, it, there are many. So, you know, you've got portraiture, lifestyle portrait, travel, social weddings, documentary weddings, uh, architecture, medical, you name it. So there is, especially in the, in the British Institute of Professional Photography, um, everyone sees photography as a social aspect, but a social photographer is actually only one third of what we do. We do armed forces, we do medical, we do stock. So there's a lot more that, that's just no wedding and portraits. It's just a very small fraction of what we can actually qualify you in. So if somebody wanted to get started with that, where, where would they start? I mean, what's the, what's the sort of starting point? Do you have to become a member first or how does that work? Yeah, become a member. Um, become a member, speak to, you know, go on the website and join. It's only £250 a year, which in the grand scheme of things is not a lot. Um, with that, you get legal support, which is really important these days, I think, to have a legal body uh, to help you. But then you know, there, there are online competitions. There are uh, local meetups once a month. You no, know, Hopefully, at the minute, it's all on Zoom. But mm. with a bit of luck, we can get together again quite soon. And then it's through being a member of any association that you can start to qualify with. So how long did it take you uh, on your journey from so first starting that process to uh, to getting your fellowship? So I joined SWPP in 2010 and then I became a fellow of them in 2015. So that was five years. Mm. Uh, and then the BIPP was I joined in 2012 and I got my fellowship the same year in 2015. So it's three years. But I was quite quick. I would, again, I'm competitive. I didn't want to be the 20th person to get it. I wanted to be the 19th person to get it. I wanted to be in the teens. So I was quite, you know, I was quite forthright and I'm, I'm going to make this happen. So I, I put my mind to it and, and got it done. Yeah. Um, no one's got a wedding fellowship since. I'm still, so in five years, no one else has passed it in weddings. So um, I'm still the last person to get a fellowship in, uh, in weddings. And I, when I got my documentary fellowship, that was taken on film. And again, I wanted to challenge myself and I was the first person to get a fellowship on film in 16 years. So again, I was something that I was quite driven to do. Uh, I wanted to you know, really kind of push myself. And again, as we said before, just respect the craft a little bit more rather than going out and just praying and praying. Hmm. If you, Scott, if you, um, you know, you, you get to see these entrants, you know, regularly now, um, what do you think is, is it that other people might be missing and lacking and in general might need to work on a little bit more um to to get that fellowship you know what is it that stood you slightly above these other people that enabled you to achieve that 
I think when you're going for something like fellowship, it's very much, it's the attention to detail mm. that people often overlook. So it's, you no, know, is, is the retouching properly? Is, um, is the pose correct? Is if you're doing a pose, like my fellowship was in traditional wedding photography. So the posing has to be now, if you're doing documentary, then there's no posing, but it's print quality is massive. And we found panels on poor prints because they're not, done the test print have used the wrong paper and it's that type of thing that is going to help elevate you to the fellowship it's not just about the images it's an overall collection of your supporting evidence your you know your how you, you dress you know you don't put a suit on but you want to look the part um you turn up in a pair of shorts and a scrabby t-shirt you know it's not gonna look you have to kind of all look the same um but certainly it's attention to detail i would say is the biggest uh, a hurdle when it comes to going for fellowship mm. what's the most popular category just generally um, I would say at the minute, probably portraits, uh, newborn, uh, is probably the most, um, entered across all levels. I mean, fellowship, it, you know, we, we do, that, that doesn't happen very often. Mm. Uh, but certainly for licentiate and associate, I would say portraits and newborns are definitely right. up there at the minute. How about corporate headshots? Is that a category? That would be a category uh, that, that would oh, go into commercial, that would go into commercial category. So you, you, you become a licentiate in commercial photography. So by all means, stick them in. <laughs> all right, cool. <laughs> awesome. Right, I want to talk to you a little bit about your um, documentary fellowship because um, uh, you said you took that on film. So just tell us a little bit about that. So, um, yeah, I wanted to, because I've always called myself a photographer that shoots weddings, not a wedding photographer. Mm -hmm. um, I enjoy taking pictures of everything. So when I got my fellowship in weddings, I wasn't happy with just one. Again, competitive. I, my friend of mine got two, so I wanted to get two. Um, I wanted to test myself in a subject that wasn't what I shoot. So I could say that I'm not just a one trick pony. So we'd arranged to go to Poland uh, for our, our anniversary. And um, I was shooting very much in the shooting film for personally uh, back in 2017. And yeah, we went to the Auschwitz camp um, and, and I took, I, again, it wasn't meant to be. It was just, I took some pictures on my film camera, got the scans back, got the legs back and kind of thought, oh, you know, I might have a, a panel of images here and I kind of put them all together. And the more I looked at it, I thought, I might have another fellowship here. And then I, I put it in and it was, it was uh, ordered a fellowship. So I was very shocked that it was an accident. I didn't mean for it to happen, but I'm glad it did. Awesome. Do you develop your, your prints yourself or do you send them off or how does that process work? No, I sent them off. Um, I, you know, because I haven't developed my negatives for 25 years. So I didn't want to, you know, mess them up. I knew I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to send it done properly. There was a company here, uh, they've now moved to Canada. Uh, they're called Canadian Film Lab. Mm. They did all my processing. And you know, ironically, you have to scan the negatives in to get a JPEG. So you still have to digitize the process in some respect to get the prints back. Mm. Um, but even when you get the scans back and you get the prints back, you can still tell it's on film because the way they've been developed, the way you've been taking it. Yeah. Um, those of you that have shot film that know that you can push and pull negatives and yeah. you push and pull the chemistry to give it more punch or more contrast. So we did yeah. some of that in the, in the, in the post-production and, and the processing. So yeah. it was all really thought out and it wasn't just a shoot some eggs and put them in. We had to think about how I'm going to shoot the negatives. If I'm going to push the exposure, do I push the film given the conditions it was all in? So again, it was a really kind of thought out process. Hmm. So I think that's a really interesting, um, interesting thing to get into. If you're, if you're used to, you know, shooting digitally uh, for the most part, I think, well, you, well, definitely. Um, I think what probably turns most people off is the expense 
of uh, of film and printing film. Well, Scott, I mean, you mentioned that you failed. You know, some some people have not got their fellowship because of the quality of their prints and have done test prints. Have you got any advice for people that might um, help them improve that process for them? It's certainly something I'd be interested in because I'd want to maximize, you know, I don't want to be spending a fortune on test prints. Okay, it's still not quite right. You know, can you have conversations with the lab in advance to say, hey, this is kind of what I'm going for here. This is, what, what, what would you say? So one of the things that we offer um, with, with the SWPP and the BIPP is we offer a mentor service. So basically, if you become a member, then if you want to go through down, down the route of qualification, then you, you will be assigned a mentor to just kind of help you along. And it's with those people that we have conversations. I've been doing mentoring all through lockdown with people mm-hmm. um, through both associations where they send me their work and they'll say, I'm thinking about qualifying in September or in January. And we have a chat, you know, as a print judge, I know what, know what judges are looking for. Having been through the process myself, I think I can give firsthand experience of, of what it's like and how to, how to best help. Um, so it's really about saying, okay, guys, what you want to do is give me some work and we'll have a Zoom chat like this and we'll go through the prints and say, this is good. Maybe change that. Maybe change the editing style here or maybe do this and just tweak some things. And eventually we start with this amount of work. We bring it down to a submission level mm. and then you can mm-hmm. submit and go from there. So mentoring is, you know, I didn't met, get any help for licentiate. I knew stuff was all right. Then associate, I got a little bit of help, but for fellowship, I got a lot of help and a lot of guidance about what to do and what, and what not to do. Mm. Cool. Fantastic. So um, you're also a Fujifilm ambassador. Um, how did that relationship come together? Like, how did that happen? A, a lot of nagging on my part, if I'm honest. It was, uh, <laughs> um, I, again, I made the change to Fujifilm from Nikon back in 2016. Um, and I just, it was at the time where I kind of, I knew I wanted to be, I wanted more. I, I wasn't content. I was working with Graphic Studio and Fundy Software. Um, but I wanted, I wanted to get involved with the camera brand. So I just emailed them and said, hey, Hi, how you doing? And then sent them some work. We started a conversation off. Uh, that took a year of just doing it. No, sending some fit. No, that they were sharing some of my work on their social media channels. Mm. Uh, they liked what I was doing because they didn't have a, a traditional wedding photographer on their ambassador program, which really helped my, my stock. Mm. Um, again, it's making conversation. And a lot of people say, well, how do you do it? I want to be an ambassador. And if you took your, you know, a new partner out, you know, you want to go, you want to date first. You want to go out for dinner. You want to see what each other's like. You want to, you, you don't get married straight away. You want to you know have to enjoy the process of a couple three mm-hmm. years, and then two years afterwards, uh, they like what I did. They were launching the XH1, and they said to me, "Can you come to Portugal and launch the XH1? We're doing a workshop for the press. Um, we've got this venue. We think it's going to suit your style perfectly, given what we want to try and achieve." And so my my style. And their venue that they chosen, they 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 sought me out and said, Scott will be perfect for this location. I did the launch, I did the workshop, and then they said afterwards, we'd like to have you come on board and be an ambassador. And mm. that was how it really was. It was just being nice, you know, being sending them some work uh, and opening a conversation, not going, hey, I've got a camera, make me an ambassador, because they hate that. They, every camera company will yeah. just hate that. Sure, it's sure. about, mm. you know, um, doing the right thing and, and dating first. You have to date first. Cool. And you've got, you've got some webinars coming up with Fujifilm, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on the 16th of July, um, on the Fujifilm UK Facebook group, uh, I'm doing a webinar on for, on the GFX system and how it works at weddings and how I find it is the perfect wedding camera because people think it's too slow. Um, it's not. 
it's perfect. And I'm going to give a webinar for an hour and a bit of a Q and A afterwards about how and why I think it's the best camera for weddings. Cool. Is that free to free to attend um, webinar? It's all free. It's all through the Facebook page. So basically, you come on at seven o'clock on the sixteenth of uh, July on the Fujifilm UK Facebook page, and you'll see this face sitting right here doing a webinar on the G on the GFX. I think you'll definitely see me there because I've, I've been eyeing up the GFX fifty. I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's good i had the um i had the hundred for a week um last summer when it came out Sweet. and i shot the first ever wedding um on the gfx 100 in the uk uh mm. and it's just really good it's really it's a really good camera yeah yeah it's um i think yeah i'm, I'm sort of open-minded to other camera systems you know um with the effects of um of the whole lockdown thing i'm sort of financially what's the word careful <laughs> at this point <laughs> You know, cautious. Systems. I think financially cautious. Cautious. That's the way. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's definitely something in the back of my mind. You know, it might be. Uh, it might be something um, that's coming up. Well, Fujifilm did great. If you go to hireacamera.com, uh, you can hire Fujifilm equipment for a week, ten days. You can actually it doesn't. It's not that much money. You have to put a deposit down. Yeah. Um, but you can hire an XT3 for hundred pound a week just to try it and yeah. you know just to see if you like it and that's a really good way of putting your foot in the water and seeing if the system is actually for you or not and not just you but anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that's kind of, I think that's how my mind's been working over the last sort of year or two is uh, I've sort of been gravitating towards Fuji weirdly. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll check that out. Mm. Sure. So Scott, tell us a little bit about your, uh, your wedding business. Um, you run a company called The Edge Photography and obviously you've been in the wedding business for a long time. How did things go before the whole lockdown shebang? Yeah, I've been lucky. I've been in business since 2006. So we survived the recession of 2008, mm -hmm. the fallout of that for two years afterwards, you know, with all the, uh, you know, it, it wasn't much fun, but, but, but we survived it. How did that affect um, you? By and the now way? we're do dealing with this. So, uh, yeah, it's been no, really good. Uh, we've got two photographers, you know, you've had Abel that's been on the podcast. He's, he's been shooting for me for a couple of years now. Um, he's been, you know, we, we sub it out to him to run alongside his business. Uh, Karen's on board and she does a lot of the second shooting, but does the smaller weddings as well. And there's me. Uh, so up until March, it was brilliant. You know, we, we were booking as a company 80 weddings a year. So we were doing really, really well. And then wallop, we got hit with uh, COVID and then literally imagine you have a pyramid of cards mm. and we just got to the top and then someone went and it just all scattered and it was, yeah. it was done. And then the, the diary just empties. So um, it's been challenging um, moving after since March, but it, no, up until March, we've, we've been, you know, been very lucky with the business and how it's been going. Yeah. So what do you like, what goes through your head when you're faced with, you know, your whole business going from, you know, hundred miles an hour to zero, like literally in a day. Like yeah, it's just adjusting, I think. I mean, again, as we said earlier, I think, you know, I saw it coming. When you look at Italy and China and the rest of Europe, we knew it was lockdown was coming. And it's just preparing for it. But then keeping busy. So I've been saying on other webinars that I've been doing that we're going to be here long after we're out of this situation, whether it be, you know, five, ten years, you know, and even next year, we're going to be doing weddings again. And if you think that the world's going to stop, then it will. You have to focus on coming out of it. And, you know, character is built in the dark. And, you know, it's been pretty dark for a lot of us in this industry the last three or four months. And if we can survive this now and be really good now, just imagine how good we're going to be when we're back up, to, back up and running again. So it's just about preparing and hitting the ground running. So when we get to, let's be honest, it's going to be January or February before we're back to anywhere near normal again, mm. um, that we come out the gate running and we're not just going to limp out. No, we, we're never, ever, ever 
going to get this time back and we have to make sure we use it to our advantage get the website up to date get your pricing up to date um do new sample albums do new brochures do everything tie to the office have a haircut you know anything just get stuff done because we all know if anyone's been you know, postponing weddings like i have come next year we're not going to have any time for anything mm-hmm. apart from shooting eating sleeping and sh- i'm not going to say the other word but it's just going to be <laughs> <It's just> gonna- <laughs> so uh- you mentioned pricing. That's actually an interesting thing because I get asked this literally all the time. Um, do you think it's going to be? Um, what, what do you think is going to be the the impact on on pricing coming out of this whole coronavirus thing? Do you think it's going to be any think, impact or? Yeah, I think I think people are going to be wanting after a discount. I think people are going to assume that we're all struggling, mm. and assume that we're going to be desperate for work, um, and that might be true. Um, you know, I know people that will discount anyway. I'm never a big fan of discounting. I'll always add value to the coverage rather than discount the price. Um, one of my early bosses, he always used to say to the couples that ask for discount, they said, yep, I would quietly, right now, I'll give you 20% off, but I'm only going to give you 80% of my service. So I'd rather give you 100% service you pay full price for and you'll get a better result at the end of it. And they go, okay, when you put it like that, and that's quite a you know brash approach, I think. So I would rather include maybe an engagement session or extra spreads or give a parents album rather than discount because i think if we discount and we're all just fighting to discount it's just going to bring the whole industry down i yeah. think you know i think maybe add a coverage add a smaller coverage maybe add a cheaper coverage but don't discount what you want to sell because you're going out doing the same work that you were two years ago working your ass off for half the money for example and you know that's just not sensible cool um you also mentioned that you've, you were obviously, you started your business in 2006. You already, you've been through the financial crisis in 2008. Do you think um, you can take that experience from back then and apply that to what's happening right now? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if I'd have thought that was looking back now, that was a walk in the park compared to this, right? That was just, uh, yeah. that was crazy. But yeah, looking back now, we made adjustments to our coverages and pricing strategies uh, back then. Uh, now we bought in smaller coverages and then slowly you kind of build it up. But the minute you start taking, I'll give you half price off if you put me now, it's just a race to the bottom and there's no winners in that race. It's, it's not, it's not good fun. Um, we have to be strong and true to our pricing uh, and, you know, adapt, adapt to the situation that we're in. Don't change, but adapt. Hmm. So when do you think, um, do, let's, let's cut this here. Or we'll, I'll just try to rephrase that question. Um, do you think when weddings start up again, do you think they're going to be uh, starting up in, in like smaller groups or do you think we're going to be back to normal anytime soon or? What's your just in that? I I think that weddings will start again this year. Um, we've already got weddings that have taken place now. I mean, of recording with July sixth, so weddings are allowed legally again to happen now um, with thirty people. I've got a wedding in a couple of weeks with twenty five people, so weddings are taking place. I think it's going to be a slow release. So I think I like to think by the end of the year it might go from a thirty to sixty. Then by next year, back to normal again. So it's going to be slow and steady. It's going to be a natural climb up the hill, but we'll get there. It's just going to be, we just have to ride it out. Again, it's it's no one's fault that we're in this industry, that we're in this problem at the minute. People like to like it's their fault or your fault or that it's no one's fault. We're in this together. Um, And I think it's going to happen and we just have to, be ready for it when it does i guess i think with weddings it's it's a thing you know people are still going to get married I, i'm guessing you know unless unless they split up in the meantime but you know normally so you'd, you'd think that um that you know weddings would be postponed so you you're really facing almost like double the workload next year so how do you prepare for yeah. that? 
I don't know. Uh, well, I've always said that, you no, know, when I'm busy, oh, this is the year that I outsource my editing. Yeah. Um, next year, I will outsource <laughs> editing. Uh, yeah. Purely because in, in April next year, already I've got eight weddings in 11 days. So yeah. it's as a company, we have 11 in nine days with Abs and Karen out. So it's just going to be you know, impossible to edit those weddings. So we will edit, we will outsource. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple of companies that already now I'm doing tests and trials with to see if they can match my editing style. So again, we're not you no know, putting our foot in the water when we're busy. I'm using the time that I've got now to find my editor mm. for when I do get busy next year. So yeah, we'll be outsourcing the coal and the initial edit and then everything else will be back here because as you know, editing takes up as much time as shooting the job in itself. For sure. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that that'll be going out next year for sure. Right, cool. Well, that's that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, utilizing the time now to kind of prepare for you know what's to come, uh, because if you're faced with that next summer, then you've got no chance in hell to win. I think. No, and I'll be even more bald and grey next summer if I do my editing as well. So, uh... <laughs> so have you have you uh, managed to get a little bit more time like with family and stuff over the of the of the past three months or? Yeah, you know, it's been lovely. I mean, I say my little one, she's uh, she's seven in a couple of weeks. Uh, and I would have been teaching at Graphic Studio at their facility in Italy in uh, April. I should have been photographing a wedding in uh, Santorini in June. Mm. I should have been at residency in the north in Newcastle. I should have been up at, in the northeast uh, teaching up there. And I haven't been. Mm. I, mean, I haven't been you know, shooting weddings and the weather's been you know, it's been pretty good to be fair it's been nice to spend time with the family and yeah. do some bits obviously we've had up and downs you know we've been under each other's feet for the last 14 15 weeks so it's been difficult but yeah. overall it's been lovely to spend time at home and, and have a summer have a summer at home and enjoy it obviously there's the stressful side of it of you know, trying to keep the business running and make sure everyone's happy with the weddings mm. and stuff like that but as a whole I've, I've i've quite enjoyed lockdown to be fair yeah yeah i feel the same thing i mean I've, you know i have a, a nine-year-old or just well she just turned nine and it's a, you know it's a similar thing. I um, I typically I shoot a lot of like, conferences and stuff, so I'm away quite a bit. But um, obviously that hasn't been happening, and I you know a chance to to spend a lot more time at home, and I've actually really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it to the point where I'm thinking I might actually um, kind of redesign my business model, you know, from here on out because uh, because I've really enjoyed being at home more. And, uh, well, this, this is the thing. I mean, I, I've, I don't know about everyone else, but I've been trying to take 50% payments where possible to help the revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing it's taught me that I can run on half the money. So yeah. therefore, technically, I can run on half the weddings. So it's made me reevaluate what I'm doing and how busy I am to yeah. think, you know what, do I want to be this busy ever again? And the answer is, next year, I'm going to have to be because we've got dates to fulfill. But in 2022... No way am I as busy as I've been before. No way. Yeah, that's yeah exactly. I mean, I, th- I think it was a really it was a great chance to reevaluate um, things, you know, in, in this time. So next up, it would be great if we could have a look through our photo competition that we've been running, Scott, and get your view on a couple of our kind of uh, finalists, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, we set our listeners and viewers the challenge of taking a photo but specifically taking a photo of a pet or an animal and keep it within that category. We didn't give any other kind of stipulations as such, just that general area. We were massively surprised by the number of entries that we had. It was, we were inundated really. I don't know what we were expecting. I was expecting like one photo. Yeah, (laughs) maybe two. (laughs) And I'd be one of those. But uh, yeah, surprisingly, we had uh, we're quite a yeah quite a number of uh, entrants. Really, yeah, we had a load come from an email, a uh, load on the Facebook group as as well, mm. which was fantastic. 
Um, and so we've gone through those already, Scott, and we've whittled those down to two photos. And if you don't mind, we'd really like you to choose the winner um, and give us a oh, bit of no a pressure. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Um, so first up, we've got a picture from Brian. And well, let's let, let you describe the photo. Um, it should be on our screens now. Yeah, I mean, I've got the print from uh, image from Brian here now. It's a really nicely captured image of a, a chimpanzee by the looks of it. Uh, you can only assume it's in a it's in a zoo because you get that close in the in the wild. I think you're on, you know. It's, uh, but no, it's a lovely capture. Uh, from looking at this, I'm. I think it's an iPhone picture that's taken on portrait mode, given the, the, how black the background <laughs> is. But having said that, I love the fact that the catch lights are in the eyes, and it's, you've got almost like this little inquisitive look on the chimpanzee as uh, as well. It's nicely framed. It's, it's a really, really good capture. I, I quite like this one a lot. It's uh, it, a bit more contrast, a bit more black and white, I think would have really helped, helped bring out those dark bits a bit more and a bit more a bit sharpening here. But I think overall, it's, it's a really nice capture. That's fine. That's fine. What did what did you think of that shot, Kay? Um, I quite like it. I quite um I like the way uh, the light falls off. Yeah. Um I would say maybe I'm sort of borderline as to whether I think that the highlights are uh, a little too bright. Maybe Possibly. but um I I agree with Scott uh, in that um it's sort of somewhere between it's not quite black and white. Mm. But uh you know, so uh, I like it. Though. It's a really um, sort of mesmerizing shot. Well, th that's kind of the word that sprung to my mind as well. Mm -hmm. You know, taking the, the technical kind of aspect out of it for a, for a second, the um, as a shot to look at, you 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 almost wonder what that chimpanzee is actually thinking, uh, and that yeah. that's what what I particularly like about this shot. Mm. Yeah, look at good job, Brian. Excellent. Well, then next up we had um, a shot by Lloyd. This has got good narrative, this image. Um, you sh it popped up on my in inbox a minute ago, and I straight away, you, it's a loyal dog right there, no matter what. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's nothing, there's, uh, is it unrequited love the dog gives? Is no matter what, how bad a day you're having, a dog's going to be there no matter what. Um, yeah. Off the lead, looking up, obviously the owners, I'm going to, again, you should never assume when you're print judging, but you can only assume that it's maybe eating a sandwich or it's eating something, the dog's waiting for its scrap to hit the floor. Uh, I, I like the, the storyteller behind this. I think the crop is very good. It's a little bit underexposed, a bit more boost lift in the exposure and, and the uh, contrast, I think, would help. Uh, but overall, I think the narrative here is uh, is very, very nice indeed. Yeah. Yeah, the narrative is, um, I find that really interesting uh, because uh, I, you know we're just about to get a dog, as you know, in about... <laughs> no, sorry, I've not heard about really? that. <laughs> yeah, in about five days' time. And um, so, you know, I can... Uh, I can only look at, at at this image and think, you know, uh, I hope I can train our dog like that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, it's one of these. Uh, it, maybe I'm thinking it's uh, it, the dog's pose is really uh, interesting. Mm. Um, I feel sort of uh, the, the shadows are maybe a little bit dark on the on the legs, so it's losing a little bit of detail there. It's maybe a bit under, but um, other than that, um, I really love that photo for its um for its context and it's sort of spontaneous vibe yeah 
you know. It looks like one of those Lipizzana horses in Portugal where it's all kind of yeah, trotting around and stuff. It's a, it's a really, it's a, it's a good, yeah, it's not often you see a, a pet portrait as emotive as this, but I like it. It's, it's a nice, yeah. it's a good and capture. Has he, has he caught that? Was that the third paw off the ground there? Or is that just touching the ground? That's off the ground, I think. It is off just the ground as well, isn't oh, it? Oh, the front two are off, yeah. Ah, so you had less than a millisecond to capture that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, oh. this it's one of those um, you know, really lucky, almost like street photo type of shots, yeah. Yeah. you know. Um, but it's really, really very well captured. Yeah. So um, yeah. So we get to decide who the winner is. Obviously, these these two images um were sort of the final crop. Yeah. You know, um so we picked these two out of the out of the whole bunch that we that we got sent. And there were some really photos, uh, some really funny photos amongst oh, there were. the ones we got. There's one that stood out of um you know a horse that looked like it was laughing, you know, it's that kind of a shot that, that stood out <laughs> as a, a, a quite a funny photo for me. Yeah. There were yeah, there were a whole lot of uh really interesting shots. Um but these two so Brian's uh chimpanzee, which is um you know, which is like a really moody portrait of a of a chimpanzee. And uh, and Lloyd's, you know, doggy street photo. Those those were really the two that for sure. I, I thought I felt like were the most striking ones. Yeah. So uh, we have to decide who the winner is. What do you think, Scott? What's your take? On um, this? If it was if it was down to a, a straight one two, uh, I think Brian's uh, image of the chimpanzee uh, just nicks it. I think it's just about those eyes it's you you can look deep into it the expression of the chimpanzee has you're mm. quite right i think that it may, maybe tone down the highlights on the knee um and just on the right hand side of the image would have helped elevate this even more but mm. i think overall this is a really really striking capture mm. yeah yes yeah, the eyes isn't it it's yeah. always in the eyes it's always in the eyes yeah and it's yeah it's uh yeah i like the I like the way that the top of the eyes are sort of falling back into shadow, mm-hmm. you know, under that under that brow. But there's just enough light to. Uh... I'd like to see it again in black and white and a bit more contrast, personally. Yeah. Um, so if you are watching Brian, send us a, a, um, another image, a bit more boost of contrast in black and white. I think this will really, really go up another level as well. Yeah, it'd be interesting um, to uh, talk to Brian directly because we'll we'll have the winner of this competition on the show um, next week, so we can talk to yeah. to Brian directly. So yeah, well done. Excellent effort. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations, Brian. Right. I think that's it for today. That's all we've got time for. Thank you very much, Scott, for coming on the show. It was uh, extremely informative um, to talk to you. And of course, it was a hell of a lot of fun. So I hope you enjoyed it. It was really good fun. Thanks for having me on, guys. And uh, yeah, anything else you need from me moving forwards, just give me a shout. Cool. And obviously, you'll find uh, all of uh, Scott's details and a link to his website and everything um, in the description or in the show comments. So without further ado, we'll see you back in a week's time. As always, every Thursday, see you there.